Before I introduce my next guest, I wanted to give a shout out to my monthly supporters, Danny Sweat Jr. and Devin Gennard. If you want to become a monthly supporter, you can go to Anchor FM slash Zach Jameson and go to support the show option. For as little as 99 cents a month, you can become a monthly supporter of the show. The link is also available in the description box below. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Everything Under the Sun with your host, Zach Jameson. Today, I have a very special guest, a good friend of mine. Uh, he is the editor-in-chief for the Underground Vampire Club, news editor for the Private Suite magazine, and a biographer for the Sabre Society of Baseball Research. Welcome to the show, Billy Bogera. Hello. Let's get it. So this has been an episode long in the making. Um, yes. But um, one thing that really jumps out to me is the biographer for the Sabre Society of Baseball Research. Yeah, Society for American Baseball Research. We are out here. Uh, pay, pay your $25 if you like baseball and you like research and you like analytics and history about the greatest sport of all time. Am I right? So what do you do uh, for Sabre Society? So for them, um, I basically do work on their biography project and their games project. So... Uh, I write various player bios, um, and then I write um, biography pieces, or I guess historical pieces, on individual games, whether those are playoffs or regular season or whatever. So basically, I'm just like a researcher slash biographer for kind of whatever I want, really. I mean, they, they give me assignments sometimes, and I also pitch my own players and games, and it's fun stuff. What are some examples of some of the players and games that you've, that you've done? Well, right now, um, I'm actually working on a piece about Stu Cole for a book, um, for a book that should be coming out this summer, I believe, uh, produced by Saber. And Stu Cole only has one hit in the major leagues, Ooh, okay. and the book is uh, detailing every single player that only has one hit in the league. I so. actually met one player. Um, he actually is a trainer at my old gym that I worked at. His name is Matt Tubman. Oh yeah, and he had one base knock. Uh, he played for the. Oh wait, I've heard of Matt. Yeah, I think I've watched like a video on YouTube about him. Yeah, I think yeah, he's he's a part of the. I I guarantee he's a part of the book. He actually might already have a bio on Saber. He might um, actually. Yeah, but I'm that's I'm working on that one right now. Um, the most recent one I completed was a games project piece on the 2012 National League Division Series between my beloved St. Louis Cardinals and the Washington Nationals. I did game five of that series. Very underrated game, in my opinion. Um, it's why, uh, and I have a lot of close, very personal stories with that game. Um, if you would allow me to embellish really quick oh, on absolutely. that. Oh, absolutely. So I was 12 when that game happened, and uh, basically, spoiler alert, uh, Adam Wainwright for the Cardinals gave up like six runs throughout the first like three innings, I think it was. And I thought the game was over, and I and the season would have been over. It's game five, winner take all of the division series. Um, and as a naive 12-year-old, I went into my shower and started crying because um, I was so sad that the Cardinals season was over one year after we won the World Series. And then, also spoiler alert, the Cardinals came back and won in a very thrilling game. Uh, I'll leave the rest up to, I mean, everyone can, like, go... Watch that game. It was. It's a classic. It's. It's. I think it's one of the most underrated games of all time, personally. But bold take. So, um, what? First, I want to ask you 
what your first baseball memory would be and like some of your some of your early childhood memories what got you into baseball okay so what got me into baseball so i've been raised a cardinals fan like i said my entire life um i've been i came pretty much came out the womb baseball because my dad is just as obsessed with the cardinals as i am um and has always been his entire life um how he got to that point is not he doesn't even know really um, my great grandpa actually played for the Springfield Cardinals, which is our double A affiliate, um, before getting drafted into World War II. Um, but he did not play in the majors. Uh, my dad has told me that one may be a reason why. And also he may have been a bandwagoner, uh, in the early eighties because he really liked Ozzie Smith. So he just started rooting for the Cardinals. That was an explanation he gave me a really long time ago. I don't know if that's true, and if it is, I kind of like hate my dad for that. Um, but nevertheless, he's been a Cardinals fan his entire life. So therefore, he's literally forced me to brainwash me, and I kind of like stand the Cardinals to an unhealthy degree. Like I wouldn't ever wear the like merch of another team or anything like that like i can't force myself to do that i can do it with the nba because i don't have any affiliations as much as i love basketball um yeah so you never wear a cubs uniform oh well i mean yeah like i'd never wear a cubs uniform are you kidding me the closest thing i have i have a all-star game 1999 shirt i believe um which was at fenway park obviously um good old mark mcguire yeah oh yeah no, good old, you know, Pedro Martinez is that game. He struck oh. out. Yeah, that's, we can get on that later. That is iconic. Shout out Pedro. I love Pedro. He's one of yeah. my favorite. He's probably my favorite pitcher of all time. Oh, I think he has an argument for being the greatest pitcher of all time. But we can oh. get on that tangent later. That's a whole nother thing. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, but as far as, like, the earliest memories, I don't know. Like, But I, I know for a fact that I have been obsessed with baseball ever since I could comprehend what b- the St. Louis Cardinals were. I mean, like, it's it's been that much and like I said like I it drove me to tears you know um if if they'd ever lose and I mean there'd be times when I mean like my entire day would be dictated by if the Cardinals won or not yeah like the mood of the day and I'm not like that anymore I do care a lot I care a lot more about baseball as a game now than I do it's just the Cardinals but like yeah it's it was kind of unhealthy I feel like you're like supplemented a lot of mental health struggles <laughs> that, I, <laughs> that I had but um but yeah I, I couldn't really point out an exact memory um I would say I have very faint memories of watching the Cardinals uh during their uh mid-2000s run of being amazing Albert Pujols uh being I guess kind of like one of my first idols just because of how awesome he was but yeah but yeah, so I guess I don't know. But I've been diehard. I know that for a fact. I I know the exact year more or less because it was a very special year for the Red Sox. Um, I got into baseball at the very tail end of 2006, entering into 2007. Yes, a special year for the Red Sox indeed. So I was nine years old. Yeah. When I got into them, me and my brother would play baseball outside uh, with each other. Um, so I got into them. I would say probably around May 2007. And we were me and my brother would watch games together, um, and then in the postseason, my first real memory I can think of, and I'm sure there's a memory that I'm forgetting, but it was Game Six of the ALCS 
first inning, Kurt Schilling's pitching. He retires the first batters of the inning. And then in the top, uh, the bottom half of the inning, uh, the Red Sox load the bases, and we have J.D. Drew up to bat. Yes, former Cardinal. He is a former Cardinal. Yes. Um, and I wasn't a huge J.D. Drew fan at that point because okay. he we spent a lot of money on him. Were you a Steven Drew fan? I was not a Steven. I wasn't a okay. Drew fan, period. It's the Drew family, apparently. Um, and then J.D. Drew hits a grand slam. It's the first grand slam yes. I've ever seen in my life. And from there, I'm like in love. There you go. And then game one of the World Series, Dustin Pedroia hits a um, – um, he hits a home run on the first half, first half bat. I'm forgetting. I'm spacing on the on the correct vocabulary for it. Um, the, lead off home run. That's, yeah. I don't know why I'm forgetting that. There you go. Um, but those are my early memories. And then I remember waking up my stepdad uh, when we won the World Series. I like screamed. He's yeah. like, "Why are you screaming?" I'm just like, "Red Sox just won the World Series." Well, yeah, yeah. You know, it's good that you were that excited because that is honestly one of the most boring World Series ever. I mean, that is. Literally, I feel so bad for the for the Rockies because, I mean, they 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 came so far. For for two thousand seven, I mean, they were a wild card team. They <clears throat> they really shouldn't have been in the the playoffs as it was because of the. I'm, I don't know if you're familiar with the Matt Holiday slide controversy. Yeah, I am of the wild card game. Yeah, that was uh or the one game. It the wild card game wasn't even a thing. It was a one game wild card playoff between the. Who they face? The Padres. That's who it was. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, no, that that World Series. I'm glad it means a lot to you because it doesn't mean a lot to a lot of other people because it was really boring. Yeah. So that's good that you have that special, I and mean, which is very similar to a situation with me because a lot of people hate the 2006 World Series when the Cardinals won. I think. I mean, like, I think it has its moments, but I agree that it wasn't very good. There weren't a lot as far as the mid 2000s in the MLB. I feel like. There were seldom good World Series because if you look at it, if we're gonna look at the mid two thousands just as a thing, two thousand four, we got that know, sweep. It was yeah. Well, there were so many sweeps. There was mm-hmm. that sweep. There was the next year with the White Sox. They swept. Um, the the Tigers got one game on the Cardinals in two thousand six. Got one game. Um, the Rays got one game on the Phillies. Yeah, that was two thousand eight. Yeah. And I want to say it was six games in two thousand nine. Yeah, two thousand nine was a pretty good World Series. That was. I a was good... rooting for the Phillies so hard. I hate the Yankees. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, the, I I like the. Yeah, that that Phillies team was fun to watch for sure. Plus, I got Pedro on there. Like. Yes. <laughs> in the Pedro. twilight of his career, and he actually actually, he, before the Phillies picked him up, he was not pitching well at all, and then he like went off for the Phillies for some reason. I have no idea why, but, yeah, shout out Pedro again. This Back. is going to be the shout-out Pedro episode because... It's the episode of Pedro Martinez. Yeah, even though we're not going to, like, go fully in on Pedro because that's just that would just take too long. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, you're right. It, it was kind of a boring uh, World Series year. And then, I honestly... No, because, like, 2000... And, I think it was 2000 when it was the Yankees and... The Mets. No, 2000, I'm thinking 2001. 2001. That was the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks. Yeah. Um, game 7. 2001's up... 2002. 2001, I think, is top three for me, World Series of all time. Yeah. Um, that That's a really important one. Well, so good. Unfortunately for me, I will not see uh, the Red Sox in the World Series anytime soon because they traded away <laughs> their best player. Um, outside of Babe Ruth, maybe um, the most talented player in their history. Um, 
very offended. It's a very hot take. I don't know if I completely agree with what I'm saying, but I'm angry right now. So I, let me let me be unreasonable for a second. No, um, I, I don't think that's unreasonable at all, first of all, before you go off on your thing. I, I think Mookie Betts is genuinely one of the greatest uh, talents, uh, just overall bodies of, of talent I've ever seen play baseball. But go off on your on – your, Cause you you are not very happy. I can just I can look I can see it you in your eyes. You can see the stress in my I can eyes. See your your body's tense right now. So so yeah. Here's my thing. Mm-hmm. The Red Sox. The reason why they traded Mookie Betts was because of pretty much because of just salary cap relief. Because they didn't want to give him three hundred and fifty million dollars, which in the grand scheme is a lot of money, but not for Mookie Betts. Because you have a player like Mike Trout, who gets four hundred and thirty million. Mookie Betts deserves the money. But I don't mind us trading away players for cap space. It's the fact that we traded Mookie Betts away. We trade away. I don't care about David Price. David Price is a lot of money. I get it. Why did we that trade? That was good that they got rid of David Price. Why did we get rid of Mookie Betts? Mookie Betts, like I said before, one of the best players in our history. Be like trading away David Ortiz in his prime. Yeah. But instead. Rather than getting rid of Nate Voldy or getting rid of even Chris Sale, or we did get rid of David Price, but get rid of David Price, there's so many more players on our roster that are expensive that we could have gotten rid of over Mookie Betts. So that's the main thing. Never mind the fact that we're just ah, we're just we, we, we give players like Pablo Sandoval ninety million dollars. But then when it comes to players that are genuinely um, you know, that we we mold through our farm system. We don't sign players like that. Someone like Mookie Betts, one of the best players in our history. I just don't get it. I just don't get it. I am empathizing with you right now. Fun fact, really quick. Um, I was walking through Fenway the other day, and I was interviewed by three separate uh, local Boston news stations about the Mookie Betts situation. Um, and the the word that the only word I could say was I'm empathetic because I felt I felt this when when Al, I felt this to a certain extent when Albert Pujols left uh, St. Louis. Now we didn't trade Albert Pujols because we're, we're not we're not you know we're not the Red Sox. Yes. And and I will give give it to the Red Sox before this year before what has just gone down and whatnot. I considered the Red Sox a model franchise, one of the most model franchises. They, they're one of the only franchises that I can think of that consistently have horrible seasons, but somehow win the World Series at a consistent rate. I mean, you have 2012 Red Sox, which I believe I don't have it in front of me right now, but won around 60, uh, upper 60 games, something like that. Yeah, 69 maybe something like that, um, and then. And then they win the World Series the next year, and then I believe 2012 was the Bobby Valentine year. That was the Bobby Valentine year. Yeah. Terrible, terrible. Time. Yep. Um, I and and so I look at the Red Sox. You know, I I see them turn what were bad teams into really great teams with little resources, and I and I admire that. Just so you know, they had 69 wins. The, oh, I got it right. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, it's I mean, it's a pretty easy number to guess. Anyway. Um, then we go from 69 wins to 97. Yeah, 97 wins. Win yeah. the World Series. Yeah, I, I remember. David Ortiz bats 688 in the World Series. Shout out to David. Yes. We love David, we yes. love David Ortiz here. 
And then what do we do? We go back to. There's a couple more uh, bad seasons, and then they pick it up in 2016, I believe. They get back into the playoffs right around there. Yeah. You know, and then they eventually develop into a 2018 World World Series champions. And in 2018, Red Sox, one of the greatest teams ever. Yeah. Now, from what has happened this year with the scandal, with the horrible mismanagement, I have no words for how disappointed I am in the in, in the Red Sox just as a friend just as a you know someone who can we can look at in in the same liking as the as the former Astros I should say not not the Astros now um or the Dodgers or one of these franchises that are really great this trade makes almost no sense to me and I say almost because I, I it it works in, in practice, because yes, they are freeing up cap space, obviously. Mookie Betts is, you know, can hit the market very soon. 2021, I believe. Yeah. Yes. I think that's right. Um, what what makes me very angry about this trade is that Mookie, on multiple occasions, actually in a recent, I think he, uh, I think Jim Rice went on a, I can't believe, I don't know if it was a podcast or it was an interview. Um, he apparently talked with Mookie, and Mookie said, I wanted to stay here my entire career. And if he's telling Jim Rice, a player who played in that same outfield, his entire career with the Red Sox, Jim Rice, Hall of Famer, if he's telling him that, where was the communication with the front office? Did the front office not think that Mookie Betts wanted to stay? Because, because if if he had if he had made if the front office knew that he was going to stay, why would they, why would they trade him? Why why would they do that? Unless That's there's this uh, people are theorizing right now that there's this master plan that they're going to re-sign him in 2021. No, that's not the case. Not at all. I don't see how that's going to happen because. Uh, when you're rebounding this much, and with a team like this, I first of all they have to rebuild to a certain extent. Also, they're not gonna have the money. Like I mean, like they're gonna have money, but they're not gonna have like Mookie Betts money. Mookie Betts has an argument for having a better season than a better individual season than any season by Mike Trout. Ooh, now that's a really hot take, but uh, statistically, if you look at it. I you, think you can match him up, him. and his his season not only matches Mike Trout as far as um, advanced analytics go, but it can possibly be considered as better. And when you're saying that, and we're talking about Mike Trout, who you know we can all say possibly the greatest player of all time. He's definitely going to be in the argument. I mean, I think he's already he's, yeah he's he's entering the argument, and we can say that about Mookie Betts. Moogie Betts genuinely is an untradeable talent. And they traded them. So like I said, I am I'm I'm feeling your 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 tense nature right now. I'm feeling your an insane aura. Yeah. And I totally understand. Well, I was reading a Boston Globe article and it was comparing the Mookie Betts trade to the Babe Ruth trade. Okay. Now, I I wouldn't say it's 
quite as severe. No, not a one-to-one correspondence by any means. But, but I see what they're trying to say. Yeah. It's a dumb trade in our history. Um, I really hope there's not a 86-year drought that comes with it. I don't think there will be. I don't think be. there's going to be a Mookie Betts curse. But I don't think so either. Yeah. But nonetheless, Babe Ruth, without a doubt, I would say, greatest player of all time. Yeah, I'd like to – so I, I'd like to hear – before I respond – before I respond to that in particular, I'd like to hear your reasoning. Why is he the greatest player of all time? Yeah. For one thing, 714 home runs. He hit 29 home runs in 1918 during the dead ball era, which was more than, I want to say, 26 other entire teams. He hit 54 home runs in 1921, I want to say. Mm-hmm. He hit 60 home runs in 1927. He won, I want to say he won seven World Series. And not only that, he was one of the best pitchers of his time. He didn't even, towards the end of, I mean, once when, he, once when his hitting kind of took off, he didn't really pitch as much. But nonetheless, Babe Ruth, his stats are undeniable. He was a good hitter, 342 career average, one of the best, 714 home runs. The threshold of greatness, I mean, granted, Hank Aaron passed him and Barry Bonds, did it by, you know, steroids. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he his slugging percentage is 690 in his career. That's insanity. Mm-hmm. And he led the league in home runs, I want to say, 11 times? Just looking at the numbers right here, like, he was by far the most powerful, feared hitter of all time. And not only that, he did this in the dead ball era. Yes, he did. And when he retired, he had more than double the second-placed um, all-time career home runs list leader. Yeah. Absolutely insane. Yes, so I am taking in your argument right now. I disagree. Personally. You disagree. I disagree. But let me just let me just say, let me ask you a question. Okay. I mean – if you would like, if you would allow me to ask you a question, I guess in this situation. Oh, by all means. So, what do you? Well, actually, I mean, I kind of already know the answer, but I guess just kind of like posing an, an overall uh, situation. What to you constitutes greatness? Because to me, greatness is performing at a ridiculously high level compared to your peers, and compared to the era that you're playing in. And when when I take in that argument and when I consider that as greatness, as my constitution for greatness, I can't say that Babe Ruth is the greatest of all time because even though he did outperform his competition in those ways that you described, the era that he was playing in did not demand that he did that he would do that. What do you mean? Like, uh, so, so, so Barry Bonds could have Barry Bonds. Yes, Barry Bonds, nineteen nineteen twenty seven uh, MVP Barry Bonds. Um, no, Barry, uh, Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth could have been a pitcher his entire career, a very good pitcher, possibly the greatest pitcher of all time. He was he was that good. Nothing forced him to be that great of a hitter 
he he didn't need to go above and beyond in the same way that other goats do like Michael Jordan or LeBron James and I'm yes I'm saying both those cuz I can't decide who I who is better right now I don't want to I don't want to get into that argument that's a but both of their eras demanded that they play at their level and they played at such a high level during those eras and those competitive eras both the 90 or the 80s 90s 2000s and 2010s most you know gradually competitive eras as a whole the fact that they compared to their talent compared to their competition level played at such a high level that is what greatness is to me you can't you can't point to me a situation where Babe Ruth needed to go above and beyond in order to win a game, in order to be that great. You can't do that because he played not only, and I know baseball is a very individual game, but he did play on the greatest teams in MLB history. These, these are that that is facts. So I think I know what you're saying. So, so, so if I can just uh, finish really quick, um, a player like Barry Bonds who, without considering steroids, is the greatest player of all time. We cannot deny that. He just he outclasses everybody. Barry Bonds, to be at that level, needed to use steroids, you know what I mean, to, to outclass, to be the greatest of all time, to outclass his competition that much because his competition was steroids. In that same way, if steroids hadn't been um, a factor and he went above and beyond in the way that he did without cheating, that's what greatness is to me. And when I think about who my greatest player of all time is, I can't make a decision because I can't, I haven't been able to drum up who did that the best. I'm not saying that Babe Ruth doesn't have an argument, but I wouldn't. I I don't think he's have ever crossed my mind as the greatest player ever. So I think we have a relatively similar um, way of defining greatness. Um, what you were saying with how do they compare to their peers? Um, I think I think of with greatness comes great moments. So like for use Michael Jordan for example, he has the flu game. He has the game winning shot over Utah. He has the he, shot, Cleveland against Cleveland. Um, yeah. He has um, um, when he dropped sixty three against the Celtics. Yes, as in his what second playoff game, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So he has those great moments. LeBron has the block. Mm-hmm. Um, Kobe has eighty one. A lot of other great memories as well. Mm-hmm. Um, with Babe Ruth, he has the shot. He has. Um, that's the main thing you think of when you think of Babe Ruth. You think of the shot. Yes, the cold shot, the legendary. Um, as far as him being above his contemporaries, I don't think there's any argument, given what I said earlier with the fact that he had, I mean, he had 54 home runs in 1920, which was unheard of at the time. Mm-hmm. Then he follows it up with 59. Then he hits 60 in 1927. Baseball is more of a team sport. So having those moments, like the clutch moments, it's more or less the sort of a luck of the draw because you don't really unless if you're up to bat you don't get that opportunity unlike in basketball when somebody can just pass the ball to you yeah um if babe ruth 
I'm looking at his baseball reference right now, just for the, just so that my numbers are correct. Yeah. His 162 game average as a pitcher would have been 21 and 10, 228 ERA, which is insane. Yeah. Um, I think, I think it is really hard to determine who, who would be the best player in baseball, especially because there's so many eras of baseball. Yeah. When I think of greatest of all time, I think of Babe Ruth right, right away, just because of his insane numbers in that time. But you're right. He was surrounded by Luke Gehrig and um, the death row lineup. So yeah. it's hard for them to say that if he wasn't there, that they would really need him. I think they still would have been a really great team. And on my old show, I had a rant about the Yankees having the best dynasty of all time. Because from 1923 to 1964, they won 20 titles, made it to 29 World Series. Yeah. Unheard of. Yeah. In any sport. Um, so not necessarily them needing him, but I think his skill level, his raw talent is what puts me, it's what makes him the GOAT for me. Um, but again, there's like errors. Like, you know, some people would say that Cy Young might be the best um, pitcher of all time just because of his numbers. I don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. There's people like, shout out to Pedro. Yeah, who, that's what I'm saying. That's See, Pedro's a great example, actually, of a player that is playing in an era where it demands him to go above and beyond. That's why he is not only in the GOAT conversation for pitchers, but probably is the GOAT, honestly. I it, Genuinely, that he is a great example of that because he is pitching. He pitched all throughout the most offense-filled – I mean, I know now, like, it's super uh, crazy with offense – yeah. And pitchers are suffering as a result. Um, but we're talking about the steroid era. We're talking about Seven. in the prime of his career, you have Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, all these guys who are in the prime of their careers setting records that mm-hmm. had not been broken for 60 years. And Pedro Martinez has the gall to have an under two ERA. And in in a, in, in his 2000 season, I think, which he – I don't exactly remember what his ERA was. I don't think it was under two. But his 2000 season is unmatched as far as advanced analytics go. It, it, it's it's scary looking at it. it it's so good. He had a he 1. Is 7, so good. 1.74 ERA. Yeah. Which is just... 1.74. 1.74. It's un- unbelievable. And then, and then that wasn't even... This 1.74 season might be his second best season yeah, 1999, he was a monster, too. He had 313 strikeouts, 207 ERA. Like, that's insane. He's an absolute freak. Plus, he got a one-hitter against the Yankees, if I'm not mistaken, in 1999. So an 1999, absolute... I believe, was the uh, was the time where he came out of the bullpen in the playoffs against the against the Indians in Game 5 of the, NL, or of the ALDS. I think that was 1999. Um, which is, you know, he's a great playoff pitcher. He's a great regular season pitcher he's he's he destroys everybody in analytics and he did it during arguably the most contentious uh, offensive era of baseball and that is what is going above and beyond that's what greatness is that's what goat is to me it's what greatest of all time means to me now the reason why i can't narrow it down as an overall player or you know as far as like regarding overall players is because like you said, there's different eras that we're like stacking up. So if I had to like, if I had to like give a couple, 
I would say it's between people like Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, maybe, um, Stan Musial. I mean, it's Cardinals bias, but I think Stan the Man's is very underrated and definitely a top top ten, top five. You know, maybe even number one. But that's how hard it is. Um, Ted Williams is up there. Yeah, Stan the I I, I think Stan the Man's a he's got some crazy stats. Yeah, but. It will be Mike Trout, and I'm going to say that right now as my hot take for the day. It will be Mike Trout because, you know, if we're going off of my guidelines, off of my ideals, there's no one that's had to get, do more than Mike Trout. His team never makes the goddamn playoffs. <laughs> he, yes. Mike Trout has, what, like less than like 12 MLB uh, playoff at-bats? Like, we're He's... wasting the career of the potentially the greatest player of all time. Kind of annoying. Um, Don't say that to Zach. He's a Angels fan. Oh, whatever. <laughs> no, whatever. But I wanted to shift because um, we defined what the GOAT conversation would be for baseball slash sports itself. But what about the GOAT conversation for the greatest movie of all time? So for me... Movie? Uh, yes. Greatest okay. movie of all time. Now, okay. with any sort of art, I feel like the greatest of all time argument is incredibly subjective. With sports, you have statistics to back it up. Mm-hmm. With the greatest of all time in, in cinema, it's a lot of equations that come into it. You might say the, the, the film score or the acting or the cinematography. Cultural impact. Cultural impact. Uh, timeliness. Mm-hmm. So the film that I'm going to mention, I'm going to th- throw into the hat. Mm-hmm. The reason why I'm throwing this into it is because the movie came out decades ago. Mm-hmm. Um, came out in 1939, um, and that film is The Wizard of Oz. Now, the reason why okay. I say this is for a few reasons. For okay. one, it's easy to it's it's easy enough to understand that everybody can appreciate it. With other greatest films of all time, if you look up greatest film of all time, you'll get results like uh, Casablanca or um, Citizen Kane or The Godfather or The Godfather Part Two. Godfather Part <laughs> Two, exactly. Um, these films, say you watch it when you're eight years old, you might not understand it. Um, sometimes at c- certain movies can be a little confusing. Wizard of Oz, it's easy to understand. It's a, it's a nice happy tale. My biggest thing that I, uh, my selling point for it is the timeliness. Movie came out 80 years ago and it has not aged. That's true. To this day. I mean, I think of movies like Star Wars. A movie came out 40 years ago and it's timed it's it looks way older than a movie like The Wizard of Oz. Wizard mm-hmm. of Oz came out 80 years ago and it still looks fantastic. Um the acting in it, you have Judy Garland, one of the best actors uh, actresses of that time, has one of the best scores of all time. Somewhere over the rainbow is one of the most beautiful songs ever made. Um definitely one of the best movie soundtracks of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh and that's just a few things. I mean, is it my favorite movie of all time? I don't know. I don't think it is because I have my own opinions of what I just am drawn to. So I can't say – I'm just saying it deserves to be in the argument, which I don't often think it is. I think often they bring out the, the Godfather. I've heard a lot of complaints. I think the Godfather can be kind of boring at points. Not to say that it's not a great movie mm-hmm. and not that it's not culturally significant. But when it comes to The Wizard of Oz, Wizard of Oz has the, the slippers. It's got the there's no place like home. I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. He's got yeah. Toto, the dog. Yeah. There's a lot of points in it. 
And I think the story itself, especially with, um, you know, the scarecrow is looking for a brain, the tin man is looking for a heart, and the lion's looking for court, courage, but all along they had it already, but they just didn't know it. Um, I think there's a pretty decent arc there too. And I don't know, I just, I think that it, it needed a nice little conversation piece right there about the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm well. First of all, let me just preface this by saying uh, I know next to nothing about cinema. That is the one area of, um, of of art media that I know nothing about. I'm a documentary boy, so I do know a lot about my my beloved docs. But um, as far as like actual uh, motion pictures go, I am not cultured, as they would say. Um, I would love to be. But it's something that, like, just I just missed. You know what I mean? Just I just didn't grow. I mean, like, music is my primary thing. I'm really, really into uh, video games. Uh, you know, the history of video games. I know a lot about that. Um, I think, and um, and you know, just and, and just like I guess media overall. I'm pretty, uh, you know, well educated in cinema, though. Not at all. Um, so I can't give. I can't, like, comfortably give a, a goat argument in cinema. Although, from what you just said about The Wizard of Oz, which obviously I've seen, um, I can't deny that. Also, but I can... Okay, so... I can't deny it, but I can also bring up a counter-argument. And it's, it's, it's funny, because I make fun of people like this all the time that, that will say Pulp Fiction is the greatest film ever. Um, but everything, every single point that you made, I, and, and I'm not kidding, every single point that you made applies to Pulp Fiction. That, that, every single point that you made that, um, goes into The Wizard of Oz applies to Pulp Fiction. And, and we can, like, marinate on that for a little bit, but I'm not joking, because... Here's the thing, I would marinate yeah. in it, but I have not seen the, I have not seen Pulp Fiction since I was 10 years old, so... Okay, that's a weird, okay, first of all, like... Okay, but second of all, <laughs> that's a weird time to watch Pulp Fiction. You're telling me. <laughs> I don't know. I saw, you know, f- uh, for the record, actually, here, here's how I, edu- I, when I said I wasn't educated in cinema, I lied. I am educated in cinema because I saw Talladega Nights in theaters in 2006 as a six-year-old, so. I saw Sinbad in theaters when I was five. All right. The movie Sinbad. Any, anywho, um, I now take back my statement. I am not educated in cinema just because you said that. But, okay, but. Let me ask you this, because we don't have we don't have to get into the Pulp Fiction thing if you've never seen it. I've seen it. I've just been a long time. Yeah, yeah. but Anyways. I, I w- anyone that has seen it would identify those exact facets to Pulp Fiction too. It's 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 one to one in that way. Now let me ask you, do you think that everything that you described about the Wizard of Oz is completely natural, or do you think that has anything to do with cultivation? at like like media cultivation because that's something that i study a lot something that i like really look into like cultivation theory um this is like a, a pretty like straight instance of cultivation i would say um not exactly like directly cultivation but um also take a shot anyone who's listening to this every time i say the word cultivation um you're gonna get really drunk uh but anyway but i think it, i think a lot of the times um, when we look at you know films like Wizard of Oz, is it only timely? Is it only like that because we've seen it so much? 
and we're so accustomed to it and we just know it's a classic and we can kind of like elevate that status a little bit to call it the goat because when you describe the way you described um its timeliness and how it hasn't aged i think of a movie like the christmas story which i can't stand that movie i hate it <laughs> christmas vacation's way better in my opinion uh christmas story is on just as much as the wizard of oz you know around christmas time um that movie to me is something that doesn't look like it's aged a lot um in the same way that the wizard of oz has i should say it shows its age in, in ways but you know just based around like the concept but it's so it's such a household a custom you know traditional thing just like the wizard of oz is do we like those movies because because of that fact or are they genuinely good movies Wizard of Oz is a good movie, you know, in my I think, opinion. I think I agree with you with the uh, Christmas Story. The Christmas Story is not a good movie. I can't stand that movie. Um, and there's other movies that are like that. I think The Wizard of Oz is genuinely a good tale. Um, the book is fantastic. The movie's fantastic. And there's a lot of um, cultural relevance to it. Um, I feel like when I think of, like, movies that are shoved down my throat, I think of movies like, well, maybe it's because of my time, but, like, like, I don't know if I'm confusing cultivation with, with um, nostalgia right here, but like they're all they're they're all you know pretty similar. Like like High School Musical, those movies are not good, but they're because I was a child when I watched them. Everybody of my time are saying, oh well, these this is a great film. Um, not really. This is not. I mean, I have plenty of things like that where they're they're so bad, but I grew up with them and uh, and and I like them because of that. But I, I'm very self-aware when it comes to that stuff. Like, I know things are bad. You know what I mean? Like, I It's like certain, like, music uh, music artists that I listen to that I know are not that good. Mm-hmm. But I listened to it when I was a child, so I'm like... I don't know. Music, music's a little different, though, because I think that our what we consider our guilty pleasures in music are... I don't think our guilty pleasures exist. I think that... At least in music. Because yeah. I think if you consider something good... If you if you go out of your way to listen to something, um, whether it's really good or really bad, there is a certain appeal to it. And I I, I started to come to this realization with uh, acts like, um, I think when people would ask me why I liked Playboy Cardi, uh, when he was really like starting to pop off, um, I had been a Cardi fan for a a good a good while before um, his self titled and Magnolia and all that good stuff. Um, people asked me why I liked him. People people thought he sucked. Uh, not that I'm saying, like, oh, I grew up with Playboy Cardi. No. <laughs> but there's a certain appeal to his music that is beyond how basic it is. Some people will call his music bad. I guess where I'm going with this is that my excuse back then, when I was a naive young young boy, listen, just, just trying to vibe, just trying to um, Millie Rock in New York, in Ohio... <laughs> Um, my excuse was, yeah, it's bad, but it's good because it's bad. Yes. But, but no, no, I was stupid for saying that because that's not true because Playboy Cardi is good and other acts that have, that I've used that excuse that I've used that excuse in the past for like Lil B, for example, Lil B is not bad. He's not, he's good. But 
there's a reason for it. It's because his music has an appeal in a way that comes off as bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. But but it's that it's that sense of of um what do I want to say like lack of talent. Not saying that Lil B doesn't have talent because I think he has a lot of talent. What people perceive him as not having that much talent because of the way his music works. But the way his music works is what makes it good. Same thing with like, I don't know, Viper or someone, you know, like some, or, or not to get on the topic or anything, but, um, drinking. <laughs> Cause as of this podcast right now, we have two people on this podcast. Only half of us are drainers. <laughs> and not that, not that it should be obvious enough, but I'm, I'm drainer. <laughs> Anyways, but you get the point, though. Yes. So so what would you say, I guess, in response to that? What, what would you, uh, in my assertion, that there is no such thing as a guilty pleasure in that way? Well, I think you make a good point. But here's my example of, like, a band that I, I listened a lot to when I was a child. Okay. And they're bad. Okay. That band being Falling in Reverse. Oh. <laughs> Yes, I was a seventh grader at one point in my life. Yeah, I had long hair and I was obtuse. I was a very big, chubby boy. Yes, wide, if you I, will, girthy. Um, yeah, okay. So, the album that I, I point to the most is being like terrible. Mm-hmm. It's fashionably late. Mm-hmm. They have this song called Rolling Stone. Cannot say I've ever heard of it. <laughs> or, ever, I'm sorry, ever heard it? I've definitely heard of it. I've, I've never listened because I I was not an emo boy. I was an emo boy for a solid, mm, I'd say, two years. Yeah, RxD. Um, yes, exactly. Um, so this song, Rolling Stone. Yeah. I'm not gonna play it because I don't want my 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 viewers can check it out yeah, on their own time. Subject. Um, this song, Rolling Stone, is probably the most absurd song I've ever heard, and not like a hundred gex absurd, absurd in like a, oh dear, this song is, <laughs> it's insane. Mm-hmm. So it goes from like a screamo, um ultimately edgy lyrics to like a to like a rap verse uh, yeah. to like dubstep like wait this. was it one of those emo songs that um that like would sample uh like random it was like there's like this weird thing that bands would do my friend used to show me this all the time I was like when I was in middle school this is like they would like sample like family guy or like no. random cartoons, and then they just like, oh, like the drop would happen, and they hit their lows. Um, no, the, just the just okay. just so so it's just absurd ch- by just combining a bunch of genres. The together. very first lines of the song are, "Just let me go, I'm on my own, a Rolling Stone, and I'm in the zone." Ooh, it's very edgy. And then what is it? Uh, if you think you know me, then you're probably wrong. You know, sounds like WWE theme song lyrics. Um. Yeah, it's very, very. Oh, I got that white boy swagger right in, oh, right oh. in the T. Oh, got my hand up on the throttle, ready to cut you up and gut you like a fucking avocado. Oh my god! So these lyrics are like edgy as hell. It's Wait, probably what? The, what year did they come out? Two thousand and thirteen. Okay. So this, so what you were saying was like nothing is like nothing is like. I forgot. I'm forgetting the phrasing so, of it. So bad, it's good. Yes, it's one of those albums at this point because, like, I loved it when I was in that phase, yeah. and I'm just like, yeah, I am in the zone. I love this. Yeah. And then I I didn't listen to it for a solid, I don't know, six or seven years. Yeah. And then I had, like, this thing with um, my friend Will back home 
where I try to cringe him out. So I'm like, yeah, I know how to make him cringe. I'll listen to Falling in Reverse with him. And I put the song on, and it was hilariously horrible. Mm-hmm. The song is so bad. Okay. But it's hilariously horrible. It's a song that, like, it's it's so bad, it's hilarious. It's I can't even – the room the room is a whole, whole different type of art piece of being, like, bad. It's like – it's almost like – have you ever seen – um what is it called? Birdemic? Yeah. No, yes. yes. It's like Birdemic. It's like yeah. absolutely horrible. You don't want to watch much of it, but you want to watch a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. You just want to dabble in it for mm-hmm. a little bit. That's exactly how this song is. And the whole album, actually. The whole album's horrible. Um, but when you say that it's like you have a bit of enjoyment with it, I have enjoyment in it now with how absolutely atrocious parts of the song is and just how it's just all over the place. Yeah. But it's just... <laughs> but there's like a fine line, though. Yes. Now, I cannot say... I have a playlist called uh, Good Old Times. Oh, jeez. I also have some uh, some dubstep songs in there. I yes. have some Linkin Park, Three Days Great. Those were my boys back in seventh grade. I love those guys. Yeah, this is this is a... I, I would like to see this playlist at some point. Oh, man. I, would... I, can, I can already smell the judgment. No, I, there's no judgment. Literally none. Holly One Undead? Ugh. No, there's no judgment because, like, this is a different era, and this is an era we should all be, like, appreciative of. What's even better? Um, What's better is my Zach playlist. My Zach playlist has seven hundred songs and just everything. Just, just everything. everything. Just everything. Yeah. Everything under the sun. Oh my god. That's I crazy. To, I had to throw that it's in crazy. there. It's crazy. It's like there's like a podcast called that or something. <laughs> um uh, I will just say really quick, um, I've always hated dubstep and I will always hate dubstep. Um so I cannot say that I can go I mean like I can like ironically listen to dubstep. Here's the thing, when when I, you know, I just went on that whole uh, diatribe about things being, there's no such thing as, like, songs being so bad that they're good. You know, I, I just went on that whole rant, yeah. or I guess, like, the whole assertion. Um, that is different to me than a song, be, like, listening to a song ironically. Because, like, people say, Oh, I listen to Lil B ironically. No, you listen to Lil B because he's fire, okay? And you just don't want to admit it. You listen to Playboy Cardi because he's fire. You don't listen to him ironically. I used to say these. I used to say these things, and it sucked, and I hate him. I, even like his reason is like Blueface. I think I'm pretty sure I said like, yeah, I, I'm. I definitely like uh, Thoughtiana. It's like an ironically good song. No, the song slapped. <laughs> um, I like. I like the pause that you put yeah. there. No, it's because it's true. Um. Same thing with like, uh, really early Lil Pump, um, and, and, and acts like that, like the SoundCloud scene, um, the early SoundCloud scene, um, they weren't ironically good. They were just good. Those those early Lil Pump songs, early Lil, uh, Smoke Perp songs, that kind of stuff. Um, I'm not a fan of of either of them anymore because they don't make good music anymore. Um, and I say that because they used to make good music. It wasn't. It was, you know, it, that's like a textbook example of, there, like, listening to a song ironically is so different. It, where I'm going with this is, like, I have always hated dubstep, but I will listen to dubstep ironically if the time comes. Yeah. Because I will not get enjoyment out of dubstep other than laughing at how bad I think it is. I, I just can't stand that. Um, but that there is, like, 
there's there's a line that we walk when we define these things and something i think about a lot so i'm glad we got on that conversation yeah i also have a playlist called guilty pleasures and it's like songs that i like i don't think it's necessarily i don't enjoy them because i do but they're songs that like given like the reception of the artist or like my preconceived bias of it okay like i like don't give give some examples i'm curious if you um let me see like like i love it by kanye and lil pump now that song you're allowed to like that song it's not a guilty pleasure like i i don't think well because i i don't really like lil pump okay and i the song itself is like it's it's like i wouldn't consider it a good song okay but it's just like very goofy can't take the song good... too. You can't take the song too seriously. Yeah, I mean, you've seen the video. Yes. Yeah. So, that's one of the songs where I'm like, I don't like Lil Pump, and Kanye is out of his fucking mind right mm-hmm. now. I don't appreciate. I don't really. I don't really. I also have some Drake songs on there, and I don't like Drake that much either. Okay, but I I wouldn't consider myself a Drake fan, but there are some. There are plenty of Drake songs that I really like. Yeah, I mean, he's an icon, you know. Yeah, him. no, but he's just he makes good music, he makes bad music. Kanye makes good music and bad music. Lil Pump <coughs> has Jesus made king. Oh, yeah, I mean. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know what I'm saying? We don't I mean shit. We don't got to <laughs> We don't got to go there. But um no, the album does suck. Anyway, uh what I'm saying is is like these artists make have the capacity to make equally good and bad music. And I don't think that constitutes as being a guilty pleasure. I don't think if someone, someone's gonna take your uh, your integrity card away if you were like, I like a Drake song. Like, what's a Drake song you have in there? Um, Hotline Bling. Hotline Bling. It's a good song. Okay. I enjoy that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I I'm indifferent towards it. I wouldn't like, go out of my way. I don't think it's a bad song though. But like, if someone was like. Are you a Drake fan? I would say, God, no. But if someone was like, play a Drake song, I would not have a single problem with picking a Drake song and listening to it because there are plenty of Drake songs that are flames. Also, Jaden Smith. I have a few songs by Jaden okay. Smith on there. There, are, I enjoy more than a few Jaden Smith songs. I would not consider myself a fan by any means. Oh, I'm not a Jaden Smith fan either. Yeah. Um, let's see what else do I got in here. I have like... Um, let me see. I do have one. I have the Shot of Flow on there. Shot of Flow is is insane. I love that song. It is a good. Song. I mean, I don't like, I don't like the blue face part, but I do like the beginning of it. I just like the one. The only line I like from the blue face part is when he opens with it. When it's just like blue face baby, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good. That's good. Oh, Fetty Wap's also on there. Fetty Wap is Ooh. not. I don't think Fetty Wap is very good, but. Yeah. As I hated it, maybe because of how much I was listening, I was hearing it on the radio, and so I hated, absolutely hated Fetty Wap. But then I re-listened to it a couple months ago. I'm like, all right, now that I haven't heard the song in like five years, I can. Appre- I, 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 it's just, it's kind of like listening to like Little Yachty. Like you don't, in my, in my experiences, I don't listen to Little Yachty for like, you know, the depth. Or anything. Yeah, it's because he it's doesn't. It's just fun. He's it's because you know, you know, you know why you don't do that because Lil Yachty when he tries to have depth sucks. Yes. Lil Yachty when he doesn't have any depth at all is fire. Yes. Lil Boat One classic. Yes. It's gonna, it's gonna be a classic. Um, but 
he comes back with like his he tries to do a concept album with teenage emotions and tries to you know do, do all this special stuff and it sucks he tries to have artistic depth and he revels in his simplicity and he came back with little boat too and was extremely better than uh teenage emotions and he just makes better music when he sticks to what makes him good and that's what that's my point with all of this is that what makes an artist good doesn't have anything to do with their integrity you know their hip-hop their hip-hop integrity at all so that to me isn't like a guilty pleasure you know what I mean? That that's not what that is. Yeah, and there's definitely artists that like you go to for different reasons. Like you know, you go to Adele to like cry. Yeah. You go to um, Little Yachty to like have fun at a party. Maybe mm-hmm. put it on in the background. Um, yeah, I've never I've never like sat in a dark room and listened to Little Yachty. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, because you can't. Because yeah. it's just like, how do you listen I mean, to? I, I mean, I I could try. How do you listen to Minnesota? Sad. You don't. You don't. You don't listen to Minnesota. Sad. Um, and you know you go to you 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 put on like say um i'm just looking at my uh my good old times playlist mm-hmm. um you put on lincoln park to like i don't know thrash or i don't know pay respects chester bennington yes yeah. pay respects to chester pay respects to chester you got to do it yeah or when you're watching like fucking wrestlemania wrestlemania 19 or something yeah, yeah you like, just want like i do yeah, or you're, or you're like 12 years old and you want to like beat up your siblings because, I don't know, the kid at school called you fat. Because I saw Shawn Michaels do it on TV, so I'm going to try to switch in music people. I was a, I was a Rey Mysterio guy. That's fair. Yeah, it's valid. How could you not? His mask was sick. I love Rey Mysterio. But yeah. But yeah. No, I mean, just like, yeah, like I have like a, a certain, like, I guess, uh, like emotional connection with that era, you know, of, of music. And I think that I don't think I could call Linkin Park, at least for the first couple albums, like bad. No. You know, it's it's very memeable. That that's for sure. I think it's just that genre. Yeah. You know? Yeah, new metal. It's just that's the way it was. Yeah, I did think that. Uh, if I look at them, and I was like, I don't think you understand how huge. I was such a big, big Linkin Ooh, Park fan. I was yeah. a huge fan from like seventh grade, and I think it finally dissipated like sophomore year Mm -hmm. and i still like appreciate them because it's like you spend that much time just loving a band listening to them every day you just like can't like hate them afterwards yeah it's like impossible unless if you're just not being honest with yourself that's what i'm saying that is huge you got to be honest with yourself like the first three albums i love them like especially like meteor is my favorite one and like when i made my top 25 favorite albums list i had to put meteor on there because for being a new metal album, I appreciate it, and plus I listened to it so much back in the day. Just like a, it's like a, it's a timestamp. Like I listen to it and yeah. I go back to being in seventh grade. Yeah, which isn't always a good thing, but I digress. And then after that, they just released, you know, a dubstep album. They released this album called A Thousand Sons, which was bad. <laughs> what was the one with um, the burning to the green? Oh, that's Living Things, and Living I Things is also one. not a good album. Yeah. They released Hunting Party. You're like, oh, cool. And then they released One More Light, the final album that they released, and it was awful. It was absolutely atrocious. Yeah, I can't say I've, I've like, listened to anything past, um, like, the first bad one. Yeah. Whatever that one was, I forget. But I've obviously, like, Hybrid Theory, Meteora, that shit. It's essential. It's essential. It's an essential new metal. I think, like, 
when it comes to new metal bands. They're the only band that has like any relevance anymore. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, new metal is probably gonna come back in a couple of years. Uh, you think so? Yeah, I mean, we're just getting to that point, you know, um, where we love things that happened 20 years ago. Happens every decade. We were obsessed with the 90s for a while in the 2010s. And then we be, and then like in the eighties, or I'm sorry, in the two thousands, we were obsessed with the eighties for a while, and then like it, it's like a cultural, it's like a literally like a societal thing. We live in a fucking society, guys. I'm just saying. Whoa, yeah. that's deep. No, I'm I'm just saying. I'm just kind of laying down the law. If New Benel does come back, you know who's gonna be the face of that? Denzel Curry. Yeah, no, he stands New Metal. Yeah, Denzel. and he has that energy. Oh yeah, I sure. love Tab. Taboo is like one of my favorite albums I've listened to in a while. Yeah, I there's not a Denzel Curry project that I don't like, um, but I take the very weird route, and I always say that Imperial is my favorite, because that, um, not only do I just like like the most amount of songs on that, um, it's it's neck and neck with Nostalgia 64 and Imperial, because those are both, I, I love them both, but um, Imperial kind of came out during a time, of, of beloved time, 2016, um, and I was just like so in like music just hasn't sounded as good as it did in 2016. And I think any album that came out that year, it has like a special place in my heart and Imperial is definitely one of them. So the first song I heard by Denzel Curry, it was like probably seven or eight months before ultimate became a meme. Mm-hmm. And I heard ultimate, this is after, this is just like a memory with, with my boys back home. Yeah. Um, we put on ultimate and I like, because I was so high. I was, like, super high. I yeah. think it was, like, might have been one of my edible nights. And <laughs> yeah. we somebody put on Ultimate, and you know how it just opens with, like, the insane. One of the greatest openings in hip-hop history. And then yeah. it just goes in. And I remember thinking that it was, like, like a uh, like an SS sergeant just, like, chanting. I'm like, whoa, this yeah. is insane. What is this? And I remember, like, almost being kind of scared when I listened to it for the first time. Yeah, there's songs like that. Um that songs that you know like you said you listened to that before it became a meme there are c- certain songs that are meant to be in a way there yeah. there that song is a good example because nothing nothing hits that hard nothing right away <laughs> i mean that is just one of the most grand intros to a song ever and and it's just iconic and and some songs are just orchestrated like that like there was a there's just a perfect synergy between Ronnie's beat and and the way he comes in, and and just the raw intensity of the song, you know, throughout the entire thing. Wait, you Ronnie know, Ronnie produced Ultimate. Ronnie J. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. It's in it's in the intro. It's in his tag. Oh. Okay. Ronnie J. Listen up. Have you listened to the new album Unlocked? Yes. What do you think of it? It's pretty, it's pretty good. Like, yeah, it's you know. It's fine. It's it's good. It's not bad. It's just. I think my least favorite project from him, and I say, like, unlike very like softly, is Zoo. I don't really care for Zoo as much. Oh, uh, I mean, yeah, I was just like, yeah, but, I I thought it was okay. You know, it was just another one of those ones. The thing is, is like, they're not full albums, so you can't really like. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, they're just they're. I feel like they're good Denzel Curry songs. A collection of good Denzel Curry songs. I feel like they're just interludes into another album, you know. Yeah, he like he has these like iconic moments um, throughout his career, you know, starting with Nostal. Well, even strictly from my Raiders, like I really like that album. Yeah, a lot of people are not, but I'm I'm way into Memphis and stuff like that. Okay. Anyway, but uh, but like Nostalgia '64, you know, iconic moment. Then you go 32 Zell Planet Shrooms, pretty iconic. 
and then uh, Imperial, very iconic, and then Taboo, which was, you know... Just loud. So loud. And just, and, and so just really conceptual and, and another iconic moment. And and then it, these ones just didn't feel like, like... These past two just don't feel the same way at all. And I think that it's okay, because, I mean, that's just what he's doing right now. And he's giving us good songs on him. Like yeah. I said, they're not bad at all. Like, I don't think he has the capacity to drop a bad album. I mean... No, I just love his flow. I just wanted to see him make like a, just like another heavy album, like Taboo. Yeah. We'll go back to like the roots of it, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens with. It. I, I'm, I'm gonna. I have faith continue. in him no matter what, for sure. He's one of my. I would honestly like. He's probably my top five favorite rappers. Like, for me, like all time. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying he is a top five rapper of all time. Yeah, he's he's certainly up there for me. So. He's one of my favorites. Yeah. But um, I want to conclude with um. An observation that I had. Yes. Um, and I noticed this, especially in sports, and I was doing this when I was doing title chasers. With every group of three, especially like the top three picks in, in, a, in a sports draft, not so much baseball because there's like 150 rounds. Who cares about the MLB draft? It's irrelevant. No um, one cares. But also with that. like trios. So like what I noticed, especially if you go to like, go to NBA draft, enter any year. We'll go, I don't know, 2010, for example. And you'll see that the top three picks, there's going to be one superstar mm-hmm. and then one bust. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is a wild card. You don't know. It depends on the, how good the draft was and how how good the drafting was. So like 2010, for example, John Wall, he's the star. Evan Turner, bust. Derek Favors, mediocre. Was Evan Turner a bust? Would you consider him a bust? Um, well, he's, he's a, borderline. Well, what I define bust as is like, not so much that they like not living up to the potential. Not living up to their potential, I but would... also who was picked after him, which oh. picked after him was Demarcus Cousins. Yeah, but Paul George, yeah. Gordon Hayward. Yeah, two thousand nine was awesome. Yeah. Um, but Derek Favors also was kinda like I wouldn't call him a bust, but like who would the Nets rather have today? Demarcus Cousins or Derek Favors? Yeah, I got you. All right, oh. let's let's do another draft. Let's see. Two for Literally, two. Literally do do two thousand one. Two thousand one. Okay. Oh wait, that one's a really easy one. Fuck. Two thousand one? Who's yeah, that's Kwame. Oh yeah, I mean that's. We well, can go to literally. Let's go like let's go to the eighties. Okay. Even Michael Jordan's draft. I don't even have to look at that's it. That's an easy one. Yeah. You I got mean, you got Michael Jordan, greatest player of all time. Kim Olajuwon, Hall of Famer. Sam, Sam Bowie. Sam Bowie. We can go. How about we do nineteen ninety seven? Because I don't know who Tim, should. Timmy Duncan was the first overall. That was Tim Duncan draft. Yeah. Couldn't name who was after though. Okay, so you got Tim Duncan, Hall of Famer, one of the best power forward slash center of all time yeah you have chauncey billups who's a pretty solid player yeah, all time uh, oh he's awesome yeah um you have keith van horn in the middle and keith van horn not that he had a bad career but like tracy mcgrady's later on in the draft yeah tell me the sixers wouldn't have wanted tracy mcgrady yeah got an, um keith van horn actually like he played like three seasons for the uh 76ers and went to the nets so if you want to consider that a bust on a on on the like behalf of the organization, then here's a weird draft right here. 1999 draft. You have Elton Brand, Steve Francis, and Baron Davis. Now all of them, they all had like decent. Sim- yeah, they like had like similar career uh, like statuses. I would say. I wouldn't. I can't really say that any of them really. I don't think Elton Brand could have been really good. Um, Steve Francis could have been really really good, I and mean, he was. Um, Baron Davis. He was. I would say Baron Davis is definitely the best player out of all of them, um, for, uh, for the length of his career, I should say. 
Um, but yeah, no, I, I get I get what your your rule of your rule of threes is, and it, it makes sense to me. And you know what I found out today? I found out um, that Wyclef Jean was in the Fugees. And I didn't you know that. You just found that out today? I did not know that. I okay. knew that Lauren Hill was. And I, yeah. I didn't think um, of anybody else. But yeah, even in that, it, it yeah. works It works in the trios also. Because you have Lauren Hill, who's, you know. The superstar. Yes. Yeah, she's the superstar. Wyclef Jean's kind of like the, the wild card. He's had, some, he's had some success. Yeah, he was. And then you have. Pros. Pros Michael. Pros. Who. Who sucks? Uh, I'm sorry. He's a, he's one of the worst actors I've ever seen in my life. You ever seen the man act? He's horrible. Um, he he's a decent musician. He uh, one hit wonder. Like uh, uh, funny enough, I don't know if you knew that. Um, I did not. Ever heard Ghetto Superstar? That is who you are. Did not. Know That's that. a Pross song. Uh, outclassed on his own one hit wonder by the man, the myth, the legend, ODB. <laughs> but, but. Pros, give him props. Now, the rule of threes might be true in that case, but as a unit, the Fugees made one of the greatest albums of all time. Talking about the score? Talking about the score. No, their, their other one wasn't. It was okay. But, yeah. I have not checked out. Um... The score is one of the greatest hip-hop projects ever, and definitely one of the best albums in the 90s. I, I really, really enjoyed the score, and I will, I will stand for it my life um but yeah what's another trio do you think and that you could bring up nirvana for example okay. they, they got kurt cobain icon mm-hmm. they got dave grohl who has been successful he had the foo fighters and yeah it's been around a few projects then you have chris novoselic who uh, the way i politics since you can't call them a bus because it's not sports i call them like well, he's a bust compared to Kurt Cobain and Dave Grohl, considering he never like had the success of them. You also like you have, like, you go to the Wikipedia page. It says famous for blank. Yeah. If you go to Dave Grohl's, it's gonna say famous for Nirvana, Foo Fighters, blah blah blah. You can do it if you really wanted to get like overly technical, and you say you want to do it with like an iconic group. Not that this is a trio, but like even the Beatles, you can't call them any of them bust because they're a part of the most iconic rock band of all time. They have different levels of fame, though. Or, I'm sorry, you, success. Um, yeah. You have Paul McCartney and John Lennon as as the the, the icons. George Harrison is the just probably a notch below. Um, he put him in like the very successful. Um, he had a couple of decent albums solo wise. You have Ringo, who didn't really have much success as a solo artist. Well, he had success, but he didn't have, like, he Paul had, like, McCartney or John Lennon success. Exactly. Or even George Harrison's success, yeah. I Give some props to Ringo. Come on. He's poor, doing his best. Poor Ringo. Yeah, I agree. Well, I think that's all we have time Are we for. we ending it on Ringo Starr and not Pedro Martinez? How <sighs> can we relate them together? Um, we can't. They have no relations. Um, they both have a, um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, exactly. They have an R in their first name. There we go. Oh my God, and right. an O. There we oh go. My God, you're right. It's crazy. Do you think they both support the same? Like, do you think they have the same political ideologies? Um, I don't know what say. Pedro is. I, I don't know what either of them are. I know. I know Ringo is really creepy, and he has uh, Ringo. Wait. Here's how we're ending the episode. This. This. Me. Billy Bagheera. Zach Jameson. Host of the show, we are irrelevant. 
because the only relevant item in this earth is ringostarart.com. Don't say anything else. Just go. Click off this podcast. Type in ringostarart.com. Go to the 2005 archives. And that's it. I'm not going to say anything else.